Hear the word of the Lord. Luke 2, 8-11 And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. May the Lord bless in our hearts His Word. Father, indeed, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Listen again to the uh, opening strains of that angelic anthem that Dr. Dent just read to us. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Locked in that statement, I believe you have the core of what is central both to the Bible and to the gospel. We're looking at the fruits of the Spirit, and we have looked at peace and hope, and this day we will look at joy. We need to acknowledge as Bryce did in his prayer, that for many, Christmas seems not to be a joyful time. Depression and loneliness can seem darker during a season that is swathed with so much demand for good cheer. That's why it is critical, even as we move through many of the cultural accoutrements of the season, And to be sure, Stephanie and I are throwing ourselves into those with relish and abandon and unapologetically. Nonetheless, it's critical to realize that the Christian celebration of Christmas is different and deeper and stronger than the cultural trappings, beautiful though they may be, that have grown around it. Note that twice in this very short anthem, dark themes are struck. First, the angels come and evoke in the shepherds' hearts trembling fear. The shepherds were afraid because of the light. Children, and I remember these days, are usually afraid of the darkness, and when the light is turned on, their fears are relieved. But in this story, the shepherds seem perfectly calm in the night. It is only when the light comes that they tremble. And, of course, it is because of the distinctive, the particular character of this light. It is the light of the glory of God. When God comes close, he reveals us as we are. The glory of God shows God as he is and we as we are. The light of the glory of God reminds us, reveals to us, shows us that we are creatures and not God. 
our fundamental, our primal sin, the sin of Adam and Eve, is to stand aside from the relationship we had with the eternal God and to go our own way, to make our way in the world. We can handle this. We can be in control. The attempt to be in charge of our own lives, to pull them together on our own, always, inevitably, leads to failure. So the light of God shines on our lives and reveals that our best efforts are lies and delusions. Eventually, by God's grace, his light makes us sore afraid. Part of the grace of God is to tremble with fear. That's why John Newton could write in Amazing Grace that famous lyric, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." One of the first things, if not the very first thing that grace does, is to make us scared. The first thing God's revelation did to the angels, rather to the shepherds, was to make them scared. Unless you recognize your creatureliness, unless you recognize your inadequacy, unless you recognize you're a sinner, unless you recognize the lie and delusion under which you have lived your life by your choice, unless you come to the point of seeing all that, you will never, ever have your fears relieved. You'll never really understand the glory of the light of Christmas. You have to be scared because when you, when you are scared, you recognize that your life is out of control and you come to a pretty good beginning point on reality. Then, not only does the angel's anthem reveal the character of the shepherds, fear also comes to them from, the text says, not beholding, fear not, for behold, the anthem runs. Fear apparently comes not only from seeing the light, but from failing to see the Savior. G.K. Chesterton wrote, Joy is the great secret of the Christian life. And that secret is exposed, that gift is unwrapped when we behold. Finally, the great joy of Christmas comes not from having lined up all of the good things of life, family and festivity and food and fun, recreation, good as they may be. It comes from recognizing that we have been given a Savior. Another dark theme. If it's a good gift to have a Savior, that means we're lost, that we are walking in darkness, that we are broken people. Look at verse 11. A Savior has been born to you. The reason for Christmas is that you and I needed a Savior. The reason for the season is God's gift to you so that you would not perish, so that you would not be destroyed, so that you would not be overwhelmed by death, so that you would not spend eternity in Hades. That's the great good news, and we are never, ever to forget that. The Christ child came 2,000 years ago not so that we can decorate our homes, not so that we can drink eggnog, 
Not so that we can have parties. Not so that we can sit on Santa's lap, fun as all of those good things may be. He came to die and rise again on the third day so that all those who trust him savingly may not perish but have newness of life. Christmas is about Christ coming to die the death we should have died and live the life we should have lived. Then the text says, real joy comes from being connected to Christ through faith and love. One of the great prayers of all of Scripture is in Paul's letter to the church at Rome, the 15th chapter in the 13th verse. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. What I think is remarkable about that prayer is the way that Joy and peace are sustained by, ride on the crest of, believing. It's as if the text is saying that peace and joy comes to you as you believe, if you believe, when you believe, by believing. Joy comes from being connected to Christ, and that comes by grace through faith. Listen to 1 Peter, 1st chapter, 8th verse. Though you have not seen him, You love him. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Look at the way the thread is all woven together. This inexpressible joy comes through trusting and loving and believing. The more I think about texts like that, And like Philippians 1.25, I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. And 2 Corinthians 1.24, we work with you for your joy because it is by faith that you stand firm. The more I listen to verses like that, I'm convinced that loving and believing and faithfulness are all connected to joy. Joy in Christ the experience of being connected to Christ, the deep good feelings of joy are connected to confidence and faithfulness and believing and trusting and living and loving. The deep things of the faith, this holy joy that Peter refers to, is a constituent part of love and faith and together they are true Christianity. Joy is part of faithful believing and living and loving and acting and cannot be separated from them. The experience of joy is at the root of the Christian faith. Christianity is, in essence, a religion of joy. Listen to this virtual cornucopia, this scriptural catalog of joy from Testaments both old and new. It's going to be like one of those cranberry beads that you string and put on the tree. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Serve the Lord with gladness. You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Rejoice, for your names are written in heaven. 
These things I speak that your joy may be full. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Spirit. Rejoice and hope. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy. We rejoice in our sufferings. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. I hope that makes a prima facie case of the fundamental centrality of joy in the Christian life. And it makes me pray that visitors to Tiburon Baptist Church might be so struck by the thickness of the fruit of the Spirit in our midst and in our life together that they might say that's a community of of peace and of hope and of great joy. I want to be a part of it. The final goal of life is not forgiveness of sins or any other of God's good gifts. The final purpose of life is the experience of the joy of God himself. Psalm 43, 4 reads, the psalmist speaking, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. Now, it would be wrong of me to quote that psalm and that particular verse without recognizing that within the same verse it runs on in what Linda Rice purports to be her favorite verse of Scripture. And on the harp, I will praise you, O God. That's also the fourth verse, but I want to focus on that great phrase, to God my exceeding joy. The final goal of life is God himself. That is God who in all of our rejoicing over all the good things he has made, over all the good things he has given, is our rejoicing. Every joy that does not find its destination in him will turn to sand in our fingers and disappear in our hearts. The psalmist, who is responsible, who is the voice of this Psalm 43, comes to the temple with uh, deep burdens on his heart. And the wisdom of the psalm is he recognizes that he knows that the ultimate battle of life is not whether his enemies will be defeated. The ultimate battle is not whether he's going to avert natural disasters. It's not whether or not he's going to survive cancer. His ultimate battle is whether or not he will make God his exceeding joy. What a great text. Paul knew how to rejoice when things went well. He knew how to rejoice when things went poorly. So let's go through another quick list of seven ways in which this joy can take root scripturally in our heart. I'm just going to list them. First of all, it takes root in our hearts because Jesus promised it would. Blessed are you when people hate you. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward will be great in heaven. Secondly, it comes from the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, and you receive the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, joy comes because it is a fruit, it is a presence, it is a characteristic of the kingdom of God itself. 
The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Fourth, we've already made this point, it comes through faith. It comes through thinking. It comes through believing. If we think that we will have joy in any other way, but submitting ourselves to trusting and believing in the word of God, we are wrong. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for the progress of your joy in faith. Fifth, it comes from seeing and knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, what we've already called beholding him. Rejoice in the Lord always. Six, it comes from fellow believers who work hard to open our eyes and to walk through times difficult and good together. We are workers with you for your joy. And seventh, it comes in sorrows. It comes perhaps not because of, but in the midst of and through tribulations. We also exult in our suffering. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I want to focus on that sixth, brothers and sisters who walk with us and work with us that our life might blossom forth with the fruit of joy. C.S. Lewis called his autobiography Surprised by Joy. And um, in that particular writing, he uh, talks about getting on a bus, not believing that Jesus was the Son of God, and somehow getting off and believing he was. But he omits a very important encounter he had some time before as he was working as a young Oxford Don and working towards faith and through faith. And his friend J.R.R. Tolkien started a walk with him on Addison's Walk. You can walk there today. I've been on that path outside Magdalen College in Oxford. It goes beside a small river, really a stream. It's a lovely walk, and the walk that Tolkien and Lewis started together ended at 3 a.m. Uh, there's rather a long reconstruction of the transcript that happened there, but I just want to summarize the critical part. Uh, Tolkien honed in on the atheist moving to theist, certainly not a Christian yet, C.S. Lewis, who was saying, I'm rational, I'm scientific, I'm objective, I don't need that. And Tolkien said to Lewis, the artist, you know that in every great work of art, there is that part of it that breaks through and speaks to your spirit about permanence, something that it tickles, a desire it awakens, but does not completely fulfill. Uh, Leonard Bernstein knew about that. He used to say, 
He wrote once that whenever he heard Beethoven in general and the Fifth Symphony in particular, it seemed to him like there was something that was absolutely trustworthy, something in the universe that was reliable. That sort of broke through to Lewis's artistic sensibilities, and he tried to resist and broke back. He said, well, myth, uh, he was an expert on myth and fairy tales and fables. Well, myths are beautiful, but they aren't true, even if they are written with silver. And Tolkien, hearing that, said to him, there's one spot in history where the underlying reality, where perfect truth and perfect love broke into history and the truth became a fact. Do you understand what the meaning of Christmas is? No, said Lewis. And Tolkien said the revolutionary message of Christmas is the ideal has become real. Life as it should be has broken to life as it is. Our great captain has made a breach of the pitiless walls of the universe. He's broken through. The Bible says in gospel joy, the great creator of the universe has broken through in a human life. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is myth broken through into history? Do you believe that in the city of David was born a Savior who is Christ the Lord, Emmanuel, God with us? Then reach out to him. Get hold of him. That truth of the greatest music, and by the way, if you come here this afternoon, you're going to hear some of it. Uh, we had dress rehearsal yesterday, and I... Uh, Honestly, I believe if there has been a sweeter 15-year-old Joseph and Mary in the history of Christendom, I can't imagine what it would be like. The choir is in wonderful voice, and there is that experience of that, that aching beauty that this tickles in your imagination, in your hearts, a desire of something deeper that it does not completely fulfill. When... Uh, you reach out for that, touch it, behold the gospel, and fear will be dispelled, and your joy will be made full. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given in this first announcement all we really need to know. There are some of us who aren't aware of how much we are under the delusion of the lie that we're in charge of our own lives. Father, we need the light from your heart and from your word and from your throne to show us that our lives are really characterized by anxiety and delusion. Show us that we need to submit to you. In a sense, Father, I ask you that you would graciously make us sore afraid. Then, Father, there are some of us who are experiencing a lack of control, 
and a sense of lostness and of incompetence and haven't yet been healed by the gospel. Would you show us what the gospel really is? That you have come yourself and become a little child to live and to die a death for our sins. So if we trust in you, and if we believe in you, and if we marinate ourselves in your word, and if we have you, we have the very life of that reality of perfect love and ultimate truth and powerful meaning. Father, I pray everybody here would be healed by that. And those of us who, though we're Christians, are not living in light of that and not rejoicing in the light of that might be changed. Your Son died and left us a kingdom, and we're not rejoicing in it. Help us to do so. Help us to rejoice in the gospel of joy. We pray this in Jesus' name.